The Boldly Now Show, burning desire, big ideas, bold action. So uh, welcome to another Boldly Now segment. I have Rachel Morrison with myself, Michael Sean Conaway, and I have the great, great honor and fortune to have Atosa Sultani, Director and President of the Board of Amazon Watch with us today for a conversation. Atosa has been helping to, to protect and to guide the headwaters of the Amazon and the indigenous people there for uh, most of her career. And uh, we're really excited to have, have your wisdom uh, shared with us today. Want to start off with this, this uh, how is it there for you? You know, check in with you. Um, you know, obviously many of us have been impacted in great ways. Um, how are things for you right now in Santa Monica and, and how are things for the Amazon? Thank you, uh, Michael, Sean, it's an honor to be here. And Rachel, it's great to be with you guys. Um, yeah, so I'm doing well. I'm in Santa Monica. I've been in isolation since late February. And basically, it's a time of a very, very busy time, actually, of um, making mo the most of this moment for advancing the work we're doing to transition to an ecological world. And so, uh, you know, I've been on many, many Zoom calls every day. Um, the situation in the Amazon is really precarious. We were already in a state of emergency in the Amazon. Uh, with the deforestation crisis that's been looming since Bolsonaro took off office. It's been underway since Bolsonaro took office last year. So we've been already bracing for record year of deforestation and, and forest fires. And then on top of that, we now have a COVID emergency. And um, it's been very, you know, there's over nearly 30,000 cases of COVID right now in Amazon uh, in the Amazon Basin, and that includes, you know, very little testing actually going on. So that figure could be many times greater. And there's been many, many deaths already. Uh, it's hard to track them between the cities and the indigenous villages, but it is definitely really concerning. And we've been mobilizing and responding and holding space uh, for really what wants to come through right now, both in terms of our movements, gaining strength and clarity and also for our ability to actually be in solidarity and support to the people who are very vulnerable. You know, indigenous peoples are, um, they already, you know, uh, went through a mass epidemic, uh, you know, a pandemic epidemics situation when the Spaniards first arrived and the colonizers first arrived. So here they are 500 years later going through that, um, you know, huge second wave um, and you know it's very much uh, when when the when the colonizers arrived in the 1500s, uh, there were probably somewhere between 10 and 20 million indigenous people living in Central and South America. So it was already a you know massive genocide by the time a few hundred years passed. And so for them, this is like a traumatic memory. But you know we're all living that now, and uh, you know indigenous peoples are in some ways vulnerable because there's not many health posts near their territories. There's not much in terms of uh, information that's in their languages. So while we take for granted, there's all this campaigns about washing your hands and wearing masks and what to do, what not to do. Um, in the indigenous remote areas, there's very little communication and hardly uh, any uh, messages getting out there in their own languages. So that's been a, that's been a doubly difficult situation. 
At the same time, Indigenous peoples are saying that this is a prophecy, this is part of what has foretold this time would come, and that it's a time for great um, reflection. It's a time to go within and purify. It's a time to take, you know, really clarify who we are as a species and what we want for our future and what we want for future generations. So it's been interesting uh, being part of a lot of these conversations recently. Yeah, so it's interesting. One of the questions I've been asking for people and just think, trying to just grapple with a little bit is this, you know, like, okay, so normal before this whole thing started was not great for really for most people. And maybe they talk about the 1%, but it's probably one-tenth of 1% that it's been great for. Uh, you know, even the, the wealthy, um, you know, uh, uh, people from the United States or Europe, you know, wealthy meaning relatively wealthy to the rest of the world have all been in a really honestly a, a state of struggle as well, a different kind of struggle, but nobody's, nobody's quote unquote had it made, right? And we've just been pretending like it's, it's that way. And now we're all out of this and we see, oh, wow, we, you know, it's kind of this, this culture that we built that's perpetrating, you know, violence on the whole world, indigenous peoples, poor people, especially poor people, the lower two to three billion, you know, like how can we participate in this when it's not even good for us? And so a lot of the questions for, for us, you know, honestly, soul searching is, and to the, today is about this with this festival, you know, like, well, what kind of world do we want to, to build, you know, like considering how fragile and broken this one is, what kind of world do we want to build? That's us for us. And, and I think you can reflect on that for us a little bit for yourself personally, but, you know, do the, do, do the indigenous people have a different view on that than us? You said they had kind of had it as a, a prophecy. You know, they have a, they have any idea for themselves, what is on the other side of that prophecy would be something I would be really curious about. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting because we are all in this isolation. We're all working on our personal survival. We're worried about whether or not, uh, you know, our loved ones, uh, especially parents and elders, will make it. You know, we're definitely in this existential question, living that question. But, you know, what we've shown as a global community is that we've shown we can turn on a dime. We can shut down, power down go inwards, isolate, make huge changes globally in a really in the space of no time at all when our leaders basically help us get clear about our priorities being life, being surviving. And, you know, in looking at the, you know, everyone's looking at those curves, you know, like how do we flatten the curve um, for COVID-19 globally? Well, we need to simultaneously be flattening the curve for greenhouse gas emissions and species extinction and our economic, uh, you know, inequality and injustice. We need to be basically doing sim simultaneously those those kinds of things. And, you know, the, the, but, you know, I do think that the current crisis is showing us that we can change. We can make far-reaching change. We, we, when we put life before money or life before our economic well-being, that we're putting the entire idea of our, you know, community and collective well-being as our priority. And the planet needs for us to do that now. Um, so I think this idea of, you know, survival of the individual to the survival of our communities to the survival and well-being and health of the planet, planetary health, biosphere health, ecosystem health, my bioregion health, um, all of that is, you know, is there, is there for us to notice, is there for us to see with new eyes. Um, and I do think that, you know, it's a space of basically saying, how can we not waste this moment, not waste this crisis, you know, 
um, use it as an opportunity to usher in a world that's focusing on the things we really care about, which is health and well-being, happiness, and from that place be seeking also economic security and financial security. Now, the thing I will say, you mentioned the, the, the inequality that, that, you know, it's the, the thing that, you know, I certainly feel like is this, the untold story that, that needs to get into the people's consciousness. I mean, people generally know that there's inequality in the world. Um, but, you know, if you just look at some of the statistics, the fact is that 93 cents out of, out of every dollar that the global economy grows, goes to that 0.1% of the population that already controls more wealth than half of the world's poorest people. Now, that's hard to wrap our head around. What's happening is that our economic system, which is life blind, it destroys life to make money. That system is not also benefit, it's also basically doing a disservice for future generations and also current generations. It's creating inequality, they're creating more poverty. And the fact is that if, if we can think about, um, you know, the fact that the economic system right now is um, creating a situation where the more money you have, the more power you have, and the more money you receive in the future, and the, basically that inequality is creating the, such a super high concentration of wealth in the hands of a few companies and a few pools of funds that that's basically undermining our democracy. It's undermining our, our you know, life support system of the planet. And it's undermining ultimately our ability to have a collective democracy that works for all. And so we do, you know, it's a time to notice that. It's a time to really say, well, how would we live how would we live if we, you know, uh, we could basically take away the struggle for survival, which is at the kind of the operating system of most of the world's, most of the world, not just the world's poor, but most of the world is in this mindset of or in, in competitive struggle for survival. If we remove that and said, you know, basically we have the means and the will to live in, in you know, seek happiness and, and well-being um and i and i think people would would respond to that i mean that's why i think some of the conversations about universal basic income is taking off so much right now even the pope has called for it and, and you know uh there are countries that are looking at testing how that this could work spain has made a commitment to move to a permanent universal basic income to basically say if your basic needs were met and you could focus on the things that matter happiness health well-being service, service to the whole, service to life, service to community, to um, mental health, physical health, and ecosystem health, what would you do with your life if all of your basic, you know, needs were met? And I think we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're in that space right now, we're in that liminal space where the old stuff is like really not working, and we're in, you know, we're on timeout right now, and the new stuff is starting to appear on the horizon. We kind of see where we need to go, we just don't know how to get there. Uh, I think part of our challenge now is to really inspire the masses to help birth the world that we know is possible, that our hearts know is possible. That's beautiful. Um, when I hear you say that, I think, if I had a magic wand for you, Atosa, and we could call it a prayer, we could call it a declaration, but if we knew that uh, you're, our words in this moment 
would speak reality into existence? What is it that you would share? What is it that you would say that would bring that most precious world that we all see into existence with a level of ease that's available to us? I mean, whether it's a prayer or it's a paradigm, um, it's probably both. You know, one thing that I always think about is the indigenous wisdom that has been shared with me in many circles around the fire in the jungle, um, in you know circles here in North America with indigenous people. They always say, you know, like really, we are borrowing our this earth for from future generations, and that our aspiration as human beings needs to be being good ancestors to future generations. I, that just speaks so loudly to me in terms of like, you know, what is our cultural value, value around who we are? You know, we're in this world right now where the cultural paradigm is about being successful or being rich, having followers or being famous. Those kinds of things are the cultural paradigm of success for our generations. And I think about, you know, indigenous wisdom says, you know, your success story is about being a good ancestor to seven, 10 generations into the future. But I think about that and I, some, when my meditation, sometimes I, I, I basically say, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening to the future generations. What are you telling me? And also, you know, this whole idea, I love the work of Joanna Macy and the work of deep ecology and, and the work that we connect, really calling on us to um, listen from that place of like what wants to be born right now, listening to the earth, listening to future generations, what wants to come through right now and how do we serve that which is, you know, wanting to come through right now. And it's a question. And, you know, I think the other thing that I would say to you is that Sometimes just sitting on the beach or sitting on a mountainside or some in nature in the forest, listening, um, I you know what ends up happening for me is that I end up I end up seeing the genius in nature, the patterns in, in the forest, the way that the genius, the patterns of life in, in the forest, and I think that you know obviously biomimicry and permaculture are ways that they're thought patterns that are reflecting on the wisdom of nature saying how can we get you know take that wisdom from nature and incorporate it into the way we live our lives and I always think gosh you know nature has like the most incredible palettes it's the most amazing artist it's the most beautiful designer it's incredible engineer architect it's it's got this you know the work of biomimicry institute to promote nature-based design, nature-based solutions. And I think, gosh, you know, if we could just relax and saying like, we don't have to figure everything out in our heads. We just have to take in, receive the wisdom that is all around us. You know, how can we adopt the principles of living systems into the way we organize our economies, our food systems, our energy systems, our, you know, um, basically interdependent, interwoven, human systems and so um yeah so I, I reflect on that a lot i reflect on you know the great work that's already been done by folks that are looking at systems thinking um, regenerative economies regenerative finance um, and really saying okay the, the the first thing we need to do is sort of look have mindfulness like look at the state of the planet 
and see how we are living collectively and then look to nature for the answers and then how do we organize politically to you know of course we have to organize politically but here's what i would say we have to organize in communities you know like as i said nature self-organizes no central authorities telling trees to do this or that Nature self-organizes. We have, we are nature. When you look at, you know, the, the statistics that only half of the cells in our body are human cells, the other half are other beings, like microbiome, and that we are an ecosystem. That we, from a very cellular level all the way to the biosphere, are these patterns of living systems. So, how do we get aligned with that? How do we get aligned with life? And so, we were asking this question at a conference call I was in with these amazing think thought leaders, going, okay. Just how do we align our lives with life? And I was thinking about this and I was like, it's like also this word we use, we use the word saying making a living. We say making a living, you know, this is this is idea that we're, we're uh, making a living. So how do we bring making a living about a life honoring, perpetuating conditions for life to continue? How do we do that? And I think if, you, if people were given a choice, I mean, a lot of people already do, people who are farming, who are helping heal, who are healers, who are nurses, who are doctors, who are doing uh, all kinds of modalities of healing are already in this economy of the caring and sharing economy, the gift economy. If your basic needs were met, what would you do? How would you serve the organism? And it, you know, most people's fears are about struggle for survival, struggle for food and shelter and water and safety and personal safety. And all of those things are holding us back. And we are in a place where we have the means, we have the wealth in the world to address every need of every human being on this planet and um, allow them to pursue this idea of um, you know, what nature does, flourishing which is like evolving, co-evolving, um, qualitatively evolving, as opposed to quantitatively evolving, which is what we're doing now. It's going on and on, I'm so excited. Yeah, no, no. I want to just reflect a couple of things I heard. You said something about, about human flourishing, and, and I think that was really great, and just especially looking at indigenous people and the, the fact that they actually have models that produce flourishing. Well, most of us and most of our cultures worldwide, we actually don't even know what that means. We, we need like a a basic course on what it looks like to flourish. And then the other thing you said, there's, there's two pieces. One, uh, around seeing nature, like looking out and seeing the genius in nature. And I love that you said that, you know, biomimicking these abilities to see beyond ourselves, like see beyond my body and my home and my family, actually to, to go out into nature and see. Uh, and I think that, that's just that's a brilliant suggestion that, that we expand our consciousness by literally expanding what we see, what we're witness to. And then the second thing you said that, that really um, resonated strongly with me and kind of our generative futurist look is that we need to listen to the voices of our descendants, 7, 10, 20, 30, you know, 100, 1,000, 10,000 years in the future. We need to listen for their voices speaking back to us. You know, what's their request for us as ancestors? What is it they are asking us to leave them um, and that's, a, that's another expanding consciousness move. You're not just seeing more and witnessing more. You're actually being present to those future generations and those past generations. And, uh, you know, when you speak that way, I, it, just, it just rings true. 
and it, it rings as a, a practice that, you know, everybody listening today, you know, go outside, see if you can see more. Uh, go inside and see if you can hear more. See if you can hear that call of those future generations. And uh, I think between those two pieces of guidance, a lot becomes a lot, very much more clear. Uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about, oh, should we, do we need to turn to the indigenous peoples to learn those things? Well, but we have the planet Earth, we have Mother Earth here, and we have all of time that we can can meditate and communicate, commune with as ourselves. And so I think uh, you know, a little bit of what you're saying is, hey, you know, we have to generate that for ourselves and that relationship for ourselves. So I really appreciate that. I want to ask one last question. Um, you know, what what is going on for you and Amazon Watch? I know, you know, these economic times and, and certain period cause a lot of stress, especially if you're trying to, you're, you know, you're, 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 uh, your task of protecting the headwaters is Herculean. You know, that's a, it's a, a huge task. Is there, is there anything that we can do as an audience to support you and the Amazon right now? Yeah, that would be awesome to get more uh, support. We are, well, several things. One is the Sacred Headwaters Initiative is a coalition, includes Amazon Watch, Pachamama Alliance, 25 indigenous nations in Ecuador and Peru. We're working to protect an area the size of Oregon and the headwaters of the Amazon. We're working to transition to an economic future that's based on life flourishing. And we're doing uh, all kinds of strategies, whether it's trying to demand debt forgiveness for the country, um, to providing support for in implementation of indigenous people's life plans, which are their holistic view for their territories, and also fighting the destructive mining, uh, demanding that the oil be kept in the ground. We have a declaration on sacredheadwaters.org that spells out this, you know, the vision for the sacred headwaters and the work the indigenous peoples are doing there and we're supporting. And we invite people to sign that declaration and be in solidarity with that movement for the uh, future of the headwaters, which is the most biodiverse part of the Amazon basin. And then um, we're, you know, the other thing we're inviting people to do is learn about how, uh, you know, whether it's consumption of beef or the financial institutions they're banking out, or whether it's, you know, what uh, what uh, products that are coming from the Amazon that could be boycotted, and not just your own personal consumption, but help us put pressure on the big buyers like Costco and companies that are by JP Morgan Chase or BlackRock who are financing the destruction. So help us be a movement, help us support the indigenous peoples. And then the last thing I would say is that right now we're trying to keep the forest guardians alive. Uh, people who are into plant medicine or understand the properties of medicinal plants from the Amazon, which is actually a quarter of all from, um, uh, modern pharmaceuticals come from the rainforest. We need to keep alive indigenous peoples and they're facing COVID. So we've launched a COVID emergency fund to bring resources we're trying to raise basically within the next two months uh, five million dollars for immediate urgent um, keep alive indigenous peoples and their organizations everything from test kits to prevention to medical evacuation to food systems and resilience so they don't are less dependent on the outside world help us get uh, get that going that's an effort with um, about 25 30 environmental and human rights organizations, plus the indigenous peoples themselves decide where the money goes and 100% goes to the front lines. So amazonemergencyfund.org is another way. And really I say become that person who, you know, more than anything you can do is do those things and then also become that person who's um, 
part of the forest movement, part of the movement for, for guardians of life for this planet, become that person who is basically sees themselves as cells in the body of a living organism and from that place um, work, whether it's to support the Amazon or your own watershed, your own river basin, um, to basically um, become, uh, a, you know, be, become basically this, the immune system of Gaia. And um, from that place, um, we can do a lot. Well, on behalf of all of life, Atosa, thank you for the courageous, intelligent, and deeply compassionate work that you're bringing into the world. We are with you in solidarity and support you and all of your endeavors going forward. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. So much, you guys. Really, it's been an honor. The Boldly Now Show, igniting the world of burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Be sure to download Boldly You in the App Store, Google Play, or online at bold.ly forward slash Y-O-U. Boldly You is an app and learning platform igniting your burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Generating a future for a thriving humanity.